Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. The last 36 of those years have been here in this fellowship, and it's been an honor and it's been a privilege to stand behind the sacred desk and to open up the Word of Life for anyone who will listen. It's not been an exercise for me in hermeneutics, sermon preparation. It's not been an exercise for me in public speaking, religious oratory. It has been an exercise in my life to help people come to an understanding that there are more than two things in life. And you've heard the saying, you can, there are two things in life that you can count on, death and taxes. There are more than two things in life. There is a destiny beyond this life. And the years that you have, that God has blessed you with, that God has given you, is in preparation for the life to come. This is not all there is. We are being made ready, as Moses was in the courts of Pharaoh for 40 years, as he was on the backside of the Sinai in Jethro's house for 40 years. We are being made ready for what God has been preparing us for in the kingdom that is yet to come. And it has been my occupation, it has been my life's goal to help you understand what that destiny is for you and how you can get ready for it when it comes. Now when I first came here I, my first sermon here was in December of 1985. I became pastor here in February of 86, but I started preaching here in December of 1985. My first sermon was on hell. Uh, my last sermon is not going to be on hell because... I don't want you to get the idea that that's the sum total of my ministry here. <laughs> but the emphasis was then as the emphasis will be again today. Hell is real. Hell is hot. And hell lasts forever. And those who are in hell will be separated from the love, the grace, the mercy of God forever. And this morning I want you to again understand that. And understand this. Hell was not made for you. Hell was made for Satan and his angels. But there will be multiplied billions of people who will inhabit hell simply because 
They have not listened to the truth of God's word and come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jobs are important. Families are important. The monthly paycheck is important. Friends are important. Success is important. But there is nothing in this life more important than knowing Jesus Christ. I want you to turn in your Bibles once again to the book of Philippians chapter 3 this time. Philippians chapter 3. Took us a while to get through chapter 1 and chapter 2. But we're going to look at chapter 3. And we're going to focus our attention on verse 2 this morning. Stand with me in honor of God's word, if you will, please. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of God, and we pray his blessing upon the reading of the word. You may be seated. Now having addressed the matter of experiencing Christian joy in the Lord, despite one's circumstances and one's situation, The Apostle Paul now turns his attention to an important matter facing all Christians in every generation. And that matter is having, developing, and uh, abiding by spiritual discernment. Having spiritual discernment, developing spiritual discernment, and living your life with spiritual discernment. In chapter 1 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul wrote, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. The prayer for the Apostle Paul for the Christians in Philippi was that their love for each other and their love for the Lord would grow and develop and bear fruit and that it would do so according to their knowledge 
of the things of Christ, the truth of God, and their spiritual discernment. Now, what is discernment? Well, there are two different words in uh, the Greek New Testament that are translated discern or discernment. There are other words that refer to uh, the characteristics of discernment, but in chapter 1 and verse 9, the Greek word ahistasis, ahistasis refers to perception or insight or wisdom or judgment. For the Christian, it is the wisdom to understand the truth of God and to live by that truth. It is to understand the truth of God and to live by that truth. God's word is truth. God's word is truth. We are to come to the place where we study God's word, we recognize God's truth, we understand God's truth, we apply God's truth to live our lives according to the realities of life and living. According to the realities of life and living. We make application of God's truth into our lives so that we'll know how to deal with the realities that we face each and every day in life. That's why we have God's Word. So is discernment here a gift, a spiritual gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, you'll find that the Apostle Paul states that the Holy Spirit gives to some the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Discernment in 1 Corinthians 12, the Greek word is not the same that you find in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, diocrisis, diocrisis, it refers to the ability to know the secret things of the heart. The ability to know the secret things of the heart, to know one's purposes, to know one's motives, and one's feelings, and one's intent. It is the spiritual ability that God gives to some Christians who have the ability to see beyond the facade and to look at the very critical reality of what lies behind it. You know, you've had people who've come up to you or maybe you've approached other individuals and and they began to talk to you about certain things and immediately you begin to see that they're just blowing smoke in your face, right? That's spiritual discernment. The ability to understand what is really true. If you're getting the straight skinny on the deal here. Um, We've had an abundance of opportunity in the last several administrations to practice the spiritual gift of discernment. Because not all that we're receiving uh, through uh, the media is true. 
and is uh, in accordance to reality. That's the spiritual gift of discernment. But that's not what the Apostle Paul is talking to the Philippians about. He's not talking to them about having the spiritual gift of discernment. What he's talking about in the Philippian church is uh, the ability to perceive uh, and to understand um, what is real, what is true, what is right. Not all Christians have the spiritual gift of discernment to judge another individual's purposes and motives and feelings and intents, but all Christians do have spiritual discernment to know and to understand God's truth. It's like faith. It's like faith. All Christians have saving faith or you wouldn't be a Christian. All Christians have saving faith or you wouldn't be a Christian. But not all Christians have the spiritual gift of faith. The spiritual gift of faith is a specific ministry that the Holy Spirit gives, a specific power, a specific ability that the Holy Spirit gives certain Christians in the church for the purposes of encouraging, building up, and edifying brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's an extraordinary confidence in God's presence, in God's power, in God's promises that enables certain Christians to stand firm on the truth of God's word in the church and through the church. And when they take such a stand in spite of situations and circumstances that face brothers and sisters in the Lord, that face the Christian church as a whole, when they take such a stand... It encourages other Christians in the church to stand along with them. It's not the same thing as saving faith. But it is a necessary working of the Holy Spirit in the life of certain Christians in the church. To be able to take a stand on God's truth and to remain standing despite whatever may happen, whatever may come down the pike. And they encourage others by taking that same stand. Turn over to um, Ephesians 6 for just a second. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, where the Apostle Paul talks about the spiritual armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. That's the spiritual gift of faith. Clothed in the spiritual armor of God, taking a stand for the truth of God and remain standing despite 
what Satan may throw at you, what Satan may be able to do to you, standing firm. But notice what he says here, having done all to stand firm. I submit to you, brothers and sisters, that there are some, and they are Christians, and they are fine Christians. But sometimes when push comes to shove, you'll not find them standing any longer. Paul is talking, he's encouraging the Ephesians to to have the spiritual gift of faith and to do all that they can to take a stand for Christ in the godless world that they were living in. But the reality is, not everyone has that spiritual gift. But those who do become an encouragement to those who do not. So, faith. Faith is something that all of us have. But some of us have the spiritual gift of faith, and that becomes an encouragement to the rest of us. Discernment may not be a spiritual gift that you have, but all of us, if you're a Christian, you do have spiritual discernment. You are able, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the truth of God's Word, you're able to understand what's true and what's not true. You're able to understand if somebody's feeding you a line or if they're speaking the truth. Hebrews chapter 11 lists a number of people in the Old Testament who had the gift of faith. But beloved, there were many people in the Old Testament, not listed in Hebrews chapter 11, there were many people in the Old Testament who were faithful to God, who did not bow the knee to Baal, who did not sacrifice their children on the altar of Moloch, who did not practice the evil, the wickedness of the pagan nations around them, Moab, Ammon, Philistia, and the others. In the New Testament, we could say that there are certain individuals who did have spiritual gift of faith. Mary, the young mother of Jesus. Peter. John. Paul. James. Barnabas. We could go on. We could go on. They all had the gift of faith. But beloved, every individual who became a Christian had faith. It may not have been the gift of faith, but they did have faith. Faith enough in Christ Jesus to save them. Now, the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Philippian Christians here to develop and to exercise aesthesis, spiritual perception, wisdom, insight, and judgment. How? How do we develop that? I am a Christian. If I am to have discernment, how do I develop that discernment so that I can understand what is true and what is not true? How I can understand if an individual who is speaking to me is telling me the truth or not? Well, there are certain things that we can do. Number one, study the Word of God. Study the Word of God. If indeed God's word is truth, then what may be said or what may be done that doesn't square with God's word is not the truth. And I submit to you, I've used the illustration before, but I'll use it again. 
There was a time when, I don't know if they still do it now, but there was a time when any individual who worked in a bank was trained to identify counterfeit currency. And one of the methods that was used to help a bank teller identify counterfeit currency was to know what genuine currency looks like, what genuine currency feels like. When you know what the general article really is, then you can spot the counterfeit. And the same is true with everything else in life. When it comes to truth, when you know what the truth is, you can spot the lie. Amen? And so it behooves us to study the Word of God to understand God's, God's perspective on truth. God's perspective on truth. So that when someone comes to us and tells us, well, I believe this about God, or I believe that about sin, or I believe this about salvation, if it doesn't square with God's truth, you know it's a lie. The second thing is, listen to the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when I'm gone, I'm going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to you. And when the Holy Spirit comes, He will lead you into what? Oh, come on. You don't know why the Lord Jesus sent the Holy Spirit? He will come. He will lead you into all truth. He will lead you into all truth. So listen to the Holy Spirit as He speaks to you. Also, the experiences that you have as a Christian walking with the Lord in daily fellowship. Those experiences uh, God allows you to have so that truth may be crystallized in your understanding. We've said it before. Knowledge without application is useless. And oftentimes we gain knowledge through experiences that the Holy Spirit leads us to experience in our lives. The truth of God's word then becomes real to us. Well, this is what God said would happen. And here, lo and behold, it's happened. And so the truth becomes crystallized in your thinking. Now, why? Why? Why did the Apostle Paul give the Philippian Christians such encouragement? Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. Philippians 3, verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, take out a piece of paper. We're going to have a pop quiz. <laughs> who are the dogs? Who are the evildoers? Who are the concision? The mutilators of the flesh. Who is it that we're to look out for? Who was it that the Philippian church was encouraged by the Apostle Paul to look out for? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. But first of all, you need to understand the word beware. Blepo is the Greek word. Blepo. It means to look carefully at. Scrutinize. It means to look clearly to see clearly for the purposes of taking action. 
Beware. You're all familiar with maybe coming up to a home and finding a sign posted on the door or on the fence, Beware of dog. It's there for a reason, right? You, you need to see the sign, you need to understand the sign clearly so you can take the proper action. Don't go behind the sign. There's a dog back there. And it may not turn out good for you. Beware. To see, to understand clearly for the purposes of taking action. So spiritual discernment is key here. Paul is telling the Philippian Christians, you need to keep your eyes open. You need to be aware of what's going on in the world today. You need to see it clearly because you need to take action. You need to be able to address what is going on as it pertains to your life as a believer. We cannot beware without discernment. Now the dogs. Who are the dogs? Kuon is the word. It's a metaphor. The Apostle Paul is using it as a metaphor. He's speaking about certain individuals who are wild and vicious people. They're wild and vicious people. Here, the Apostle Paul is speaking of the Judaizers. He's speaking of the Judaizers. These were individuals who came out of the sect of the Pharisees. They, they came to faith in Jesus Christ. But everywhere the Apostle Paul went, these Judaizers would follow him, and they would sit and they would listen, and they would take into account what was going on, so on and so forth. And when the Apostle Paul would leave and go to the next town, these fellows would come in, and they would say to uh, the group that Paul has left behind, you know, the, the Apostle Paul, he talked to you about grace, and he talked to you about faith, and he talked to you about believing in Jesus, but you need to understand that he didn't give you the whole truth here. You need to believe believe in Jesus Christ, but you also need to obey Mosaic law. So, what was going on, these individuals who were steeped in Mosaic law, that's why they were Pharisees, couldn't let go of Mosaic law and embrace salvation by grace through faith. We have to do something in order to legitimize salvation. We have to obey the law. And so they would nullify the gospel that the Apostle Paul was preaching. And they were, as the Apostle Paul says, dogs. They were vicious and they were wild preaching and teaching a false gospel of salvation by works. And beloved, that's a major problem today. So the Apostle Paul Though he may have been identifying Judaizers in his day, he's telling us to beware to identify these same kinds of people today who would tell you or have you to believe that you cannot be saved by God's grace through faith. You have to legitimize salvation by involving yourself in certain activities or else you're really not saved. And there's a lot of that going around. Even in Christian churches. There's a lot of that going around. 
In Acts chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, the Scripture tells us, and when they, this is speaking about Paul and Barnabas, when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. Paul and Barnabas had gone from town to town throughout Asia Minor, and they were preaching the gospel. People were being saved, and they were spending time discipling these people in the faith. And so now, after they've made this first missionary journey and hundreds of people came to faith in Jesus Christ, they've come back to Jerusalem to report to the apostles, James and John and some of the others. They were reporting to these men what God had been doing in them and through them. So get the picture here. They reported all things that God had done with them, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed Christians who came out of the Pharisaic sect, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. These are the Judaizers. And so now we have a Jerusalem conference. We've got to decide what's true. Is the gospel that Paul and Barnabas preaching, is that true? Or is the gospel that the Judaizers, the Judaizers are preaching, is that true? Well, not to give you all the details of the Jerusalem conference, but the end result was that a person is saved by grace through faith. Saved by grace through faith. And works do not have anything to do with it. Now, were they being unloving? Were they being unduly critical? No. They were correcting false teaching. And again, this is a problem in the church today. We don't want to offend anybody by telling them that they're wrong. Somebody comes into the church and they say this or they say that, and it doesn't square with Scripture. It doesn't square with the truth of God. Rather than correct them, we would simply say, oh, let them alone. They'll find out later on. And we don't take the time to help individuals come to an understanding of spiritual truth. And maybe it's because we don't know the truth ourselves. We're not schooled in the scripture well enough to be able to address false doctrine, to be able to address false teaching. Turn to the right and go to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. It is beneficial. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction. And for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When you know the truth of God's word, you're able then to spot the lie. You're able then to spot the false doctrine, the false teaching, the false preaching. But when you don't know God's word, when you're like the banker who, who has no knowledge of what the genuine dollar bill looks like, you're, un, you're not really able to spot the counterfeit. But by knowing God's word, studying God's word, and letting the word of God 
sink deep within your thinking and deep within your believing. You can be able to spot what is false doctrine. And by the word of God, you can correct it. By the word of God, you can correct it. That's not being cruel. It's not being unloving. It's not being harsh. It's being what God calls us to be. Followers of his truth. The Apostle Paul warned the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verses 27 through 31. He said to them, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now what a, <laughs> what a word to say to the church when Paul was getting to, ready to leave Ephesus and to move on to the next town. To gather the elders of the church together and say, Now look guys, when I leave and I go someplace else, there are going to be some guys who are going to come in and there may be some already in the church. They're going to rise up and they're going to, they're going to give you, they're going to deliver to you a false gospel. They're going to tell you otherwise. They're going to teach and preach things that are not the truth of God's word. And we have that going on today. A lot of it going on today in our world, in our nation, in our churches. They're like wild dogs. They are vicious, these false teachers and preachers. They come in and they tear the church apart. They nullify the biblical doctrines of grace and faith. They disrupt the, and paralyze young Christians and stunt their spiritual growth with their lies. Know these false teachers. Know these false preachers. And know these false churches for who they are and for what they are. Correct them if God gives you such boldness. Avoid them if the Holy Spirit does not give you the motivation to do so. Avoid them. Well, who are the evildoers? Those are the dogs. Who are the evildoers? The kakos ergates. The kakos ergates. Who are they? These bad workmen. Well, they're the Judaizers. It's the same individuals as the dogs, but here the Apostle Paul is emphasizing their program. You see, when he talks to them about being dogs, he was talking about their theology. Now he's talking about their program. Here's how they do it. Here's, here's the practical side of their theology. They emphasize, as the Apostle said here in Philippians uh, chapter 3, they emphasize their program of religious rituals and ceremonies and traditions and works. Here's what they sound like today. If you're going to be saved, if you're, if you're a real Christian... You have to be baptized. You have to be baptized. You have to be a member of our particular group. 
You must obey the religious laws, our religious laws. You have to be governed. You have to govern your life by our religious laws. You must give what we tell you to give to the organization. You must evangelize X number of people in the course of the week. You need to take communion so many times a month. You must go to the holy city at least once in your life. You must, you must, you must, you must. Paul understood the dangers of such false theology. Look at verses 5 through 7 again, Philippians 3, verses 5 through 7. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. I obeyed it to the letter. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, under the law, I was blameless. Paul said, I did all of these things. I did all of these things. And what was his take on it? Whatever I gained, he said, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, they don't mean a thing. The only thing that is important in a Christian's life is Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. It's not Jesus Christ and the church. It's not Jesus Christ and a mission trip. It's not Jesus Christ and memorization of passages of Scripture. It's not Jesus Christ and obedience to your religious laws. It's Jesus Christ, period. Jesus Christ is the gospel. In verses 7 through 11, he tells us, I counted these things as lost for the sake of Christ. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That was Paul's life. His life was to focus his full attention upon knowing Jesus Christ. He poured over the Old Testament scriptures, not as a Pharisee, but as a Christian. And he was, an, he was enabled by the Holy Spirit to see Jesus Christ in the law of the Old Testament. He was able to see Jesus Christ in the religious rituals of the Old Testament. He was able to see Jesus Christ in Judaism in the Old Testament. Everything pointed to Jesus. Before he became a Christian, it was all Judaism, religious ceremony, tradition, ritual, and all these other kinds of things. And as long as he obeyed the uh, law of the, Judas, of the Judaizer, excuse me, as long as he obeyed the law of the Jews, he felt himself saved. But when he met Jesus, when he met Jesus, it all changed. You're not saved by what you do. You're saved by what Jesus has already done. It's not that you're saved by what you know. You're saved by who you know. And by who knows you. Finally, he says, be on your guard against the mutilation. Now, scratch your heads over that one. The mutilation. Katatome. Katatome. The concision. The mutilation. The word literally means to butcher or to cut to pieces. So who is he speaking about? Again, he's speaking about the Judaizers. But rather than addressing their theology, which he did 
identifying them as dogs. And rather than identifying them by their practice, which he did by referring to them as evil doers, he's now identifying them by their signs, by that which marks them as a member of this particular group. And what was it that marked them as Judaizers? It was circumcision. It was circumcision. Peritome is translated as circumcision. It means to cut around. But that's not the word that Paul uses here. Katatome, those who butcher, those who cut up. And he's referring to the spirit, the soul, and not necessarily the physical circumcision of the male Jew. Paul states that we're no longer bound by Mosaic law. Notice what he says here. In verse 3, we are the circumcision, he says, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, the Apostle Paul says that the genuine Christian, the true Christian, the mark of the true Christian is the life of Christ in that person. It's not circumcision. It's not church membership. It's not this. It's not that. It's not giving so much to, to the organization. It's not following Mosaic law. It is the living Christ living in you. That's the mark of the true Christian. Circumcision has been nullified. It is no longer the sign of the covenant that we have with God. The sign of the covenant that we have with God is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Since we're no longer bound by Mosaic law, and Paul goes into this in Romans chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 5, the sign of the covenant of circumcision is no longer valid. The sign, as I said of the covenant that we have with God is Jesus Christ, His Son. Now, what are we to make of all of this? What are we to make of all of this? The Apostle Paul and the Philippian Christians lived in a religiously pluralistic world. They lived in a religiously pluralistic world just as we do today. In other words, the Greeks and the Romans. And the culture that was established by the Greeks and then carried on by the Romans after the Greek Empire fell was a culture of worshipping multiple gods. Many gods. These Greeks and Romans honored these gods believing that certain gods protected the state Certain gods cared for life in general. Certain gods helped shape the events of the people's lives. Certain gods took care of the past. Other gods took care of the present. Certain gods would take care of the future. And you needed to worship whatever god was in charge of that particular issue in your life. That's religious pluralism. Religious pluralism in America is defined as the state of being where every person has the right, the freedom, and the safety to worship or not to worship according to their own conscience. 
You can worship whatever you want to worship. You can not worship if you don't want to. You can worship many gods. You can worship one god. You can worship the rocks. Whatever you want to worship, you have the freedom, you have the right to worship. That's religious pluralism. And while most American people, according to the latest polls by Barna and by Pew Research, most Americans identify themselves as Christian. And we would say, yay God, right? Most Americans identify themselves as Christian. But if you read the details of the polls, you'll find out that most people who call themselves Christians don't know what that means biblically. They don't know what it means to be a Christian biblically. Case in point, there are hundreds of different Christian denominations and sects in the United States whose theology and practice differ and sometimes differ radically from one another. Some of these are not Christian at all. So how do we as a Christian church apply what Paul is teaching us here in verse 2? Well, what is our mandate? As a Christian and as a Christian church, what is our mandate? We find it clearly in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Four applications. First of all, if you're not a Christian, you need to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. You need to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Why? Because there is a heaven to be gained and there is a hell to avoid. And you may say, well, I've got all the time in the world. I can make that decision a little bit later on when I'm old, when I retire, when I do this, when I do that. My friends, you don't have any guarantee that there's going to be a tomorrow. Oh, but the sun is going to rise in the morning just like it always has. Well, it may rise in the morning for everybody else, but it may not rise for you. It may not rise for you. You need to strike while the iron is hot. The apostles tell us, the prophets tell us that God has drawn near to us and He's drawn near to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, today is the day of salvation if the Lord is calling upon you. Today, though your sins may be scarlet, they can be white as snow. Though they may be red like crimson, they can be white as wool. You need to be saved. Romans chapter 10, verses 8, 9, and 10. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we've preached. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Jesus died on a cross to save you. Well, I thought the Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Yeah, but you're a part of that world that Jesus died on the cross to save. 
He shed his blood to bring you into the kingdom of God. You need to embrace him as your Lord and Savior. Second, if you're unsure if you're a Christian, then you need to make sure that your faith is in Jesus Christ. In nothing else and in no one else. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, even be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know if I'm a Christian or not. Well, you need to, make, you need to, you need to define that. You need to settle that. Well, how do I do that? Well, I just read it to you. The word is now near you. The word of faith that you've heard. If you will confess with your lips the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, there's got to be more to it than that. There ain't no more to that. It's Jesus and Jesus alone, or it is not Jesus and nothing at all. You're not saved by your works. You're not saved by your religion. You're not saved by your, you, you know, all of the things that you have become and all of the things that you hold dear to your heart. You're saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's how you know if you're a Christian. Where does your faith rest? Third, if you know that you're a Christian, you need to live your life bringing honor and glory to Jesus Christ. You need to live your life. Can I do that and still be a mother? Can I do that and still be a father? Can I do that and still be employed by my business? Can I do that and still be a student at school? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus doesn't call us to be monks confined to some cave someplace in the desert where we spend our entire lives chanting these religious chants and rewriting the scriptures and all of these other kinds. No. But he did call us, and whatever we do, that's what he said in the, in, the, uh, in the Great Commission. As you go, make disciples. Whatever it is that you are gifted to do, you do it, bringing honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Whatever the desire of your heart is in honoring Jesus Christ in your job, then honor him in your job. In your academics, then honor him in your academics. In your home life, then honor him in your home life. Honor Jesus Christ. Live for the one who died for you, who was resurrected and ascended on high, and will one day, and I believe one day soon, will be coming back to take you to be with him in glory. Finally, as a church, we are to make disciples of Jesus Christ, of all the nations. And the word nation here is ethnos. Ethnos. All of the cultures. All of the ethnics, all of the races, all of the tribes of people. We're to make them, we're to mark them, and we are to mature them in the truth of God's Word. In the truth of God's Word. We're identifying them with the Christian faith through baptism, and we disciple them by teaching them all that Jesus has taught us in His Word and the experiences that we've had with Him. And we are to do this until Jesus comes again even until the end of the age. We have no other reason for being here. We have no other reason for being here. We have no other mandate in life. We have no other calling or purpose. Amen? Stand with me. David, come and lead us.
It has been a privilege. An honor. And off those four last points, I've been committed to those, but I'm going to make a recommitment this morning from this day on to keep striving, stay the course on those four points. And I'm going to be here after the service for however long. Don't leave here today without knowing for certain you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is who we are. This is what we're about. Our mission. What is our mission? Make disciples. Our vision. God's truth. Live it. Love it. Mm. May we continue that. And we also do this. We turn our eyes upon Jesus. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the Father, I pray you bless us as we leave the house that we might go out into the fields which are white to harvest and that we might do, Lord God, what your Holy Spirit has gifted us, equipped us, trained us, and has called us to do. Lord, remind us again that this is not about us. This is about Jesus. We're to draw people to Christ, not to ourselves. And we're to help people grow in Christ. So may we leave with conviction, knowing, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit is leading us and we're going to follow Him. Your Holy Spirit is teaching us and we're going to learn from Him. Your Holy Spirit is convicting us and we're going to obey Him. Bless your church. Bless my church. Bless us, Lord God, as we go, that we might go knowing that soon... You're coming back. And we can all be together around the throne of God rejoicing for having known you in this life and having served you in this life. And all of God's people said, God bless you and have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on Him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to Him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.